Next mm-hmm. time we're talked to you by a reporter or something like this, we need to have you subtly drop that you want to replace the rest of the population with autistic people. Um, <laughs> we need to have you. Be, Wait, what, what do we call it? The greater replacement? The greater replacement. The, the complete solution. No, no, yeah. you got to say it's the greater replacement theory. The greater I, really like that. The greater I have a greater replacement theory. I'm, I'm a greater replacement theorist <laughs> where the autists are trying to replace us. And, and Simone, here you affirm you as an autist are trying to replace them now, right? Like that's what the pronatalist movement's really about. Yeah. We need some progressive to freak out about this. Would you like to know more? Yes. Great. By the way, one thing Maybe. you would have loved is when the repair guy came, you know, cause I was managing the call. So I wasn't able to stand next to the repair guy and I couldn't keep Octavian away. He wanted to watch the whole time. Oh, he got his iPad and he sat down right next to the repair guy with his back <laughs> leaning against the repair guy you know like oh, you know, no. i'm like on the bed or something oh, so the no. guy's standing there doing stuff and, and his kids like, like cuddling with him like leaning against him yeah oh, no. octavian is a zero fear of one of my strangers. favorites as uh yeah he there, there were like guys out working by our place and octavian goes hey can i go up and give him a hug and i was like oh no octavian i don't think like the random guy wants a hug and octavian goes everybody likes hugs um, <laughs> well this guy was like it, he clearly wasn't a morning person he was smoking a cigarette and like drinking a dunkin coffee and like just looking like he wanted to die mm-hmm. uh, Octavian Octavian wanted to was like, i want to go give him a hug even when he was really really little we'd like go hiking and walk past a group of people and he would just like veer off from us and follow them because you know they mm-hmm. looked like more fun i guess the new family is more fun so <laughs> Speaking of all of this, one thing that was really interesting at the pronatalist conference, because we got a better understanding of like what the base of the movement is actually like. At one point I was like, this really feels a lot like the early effective altruist movement. You know, lots of really competent entrepreneurs, disproportionately highly educated, disproportionately entrepreneurs, disproportionately tech people, disproportionately successful. And somebody was like, and we were like, how can we move this in the direction of the EA movement? Not like in the corrupted direction, but in the direction of actually having tons of societal influence instead of just being a subculture that is for people of a subculture are seen as like a weirdo thing, right? Somebody goes, well, the reason why that culture worked so well was because it appealed to disproportionately autistic people. And then like out of the woodwork, someone like sprang up and was like, did someone say autism? Yeah. And then like five people in the room raised their hand. Literally, it must have been 40% of the room was autistic or 30%. There were a lot of autists there. It was it was higher than I expected. And as people know, like Simone is autistic, right? So this was like, yes, the EA movement was disproportionately autistic and still Mm. is. Mm. And the pronatalist movement is disproportionately autistic. And the question is, why? What's going on here? Now, before we get further with that question, I'm going to do like a little free ad for a product I want to support because I always support any interesting, autistic-focused dating products (laughs) that are maybe going to get more of you guys' wives. So Manifest, it is a prediction Manifold. Hold on. No. So there's a prediction market called Manifold that is really cool. We went to their inaugural conference this year called Manifest in Berkeley. And shortly after that conference, they re- they released a dating app called Manifold Love. You can access it at manifold.love. Yeah. And so I don't know exactly how it works. Maybe you can read on the thing. But I, my understanding is that people will put up like profiles of themselves and then other people will bet on who you would be a good match for. 
And they win betting pools if you end up with the person who they're betting you're going to be a good match for. Now, basically, it's crowdsourced matchmaking via prediction markets. So they're mm-hmm. combining matchmaking with prediction markets. And basically, you can create a dating profile. A lot of it's like typical dating platform stuff where you upload photos and you answer questions from a long list provided. You know, this includes like, do you want to have kids? What's your personality like? And then basically this creates a collection of highly detailed profiles and then anyone who who joins of course can act as a matchmaker between profiles so this isn't just a, a platform where people actively looking for a partner would want to be this is also a platform where someone who's like i feel like i can predict a good pairing between some people. Well, it's um, good gossip we, if it's going on in your community. Oh yeah. Right yeah. now I hear it's mostly just used in Silicon Valley. No, they're like the, I'm looking at it now. There's someone in London, New York City, Beijing, Washington, San Jose, Fairfield, <sighs> California City, Greater London, Burlingame, like all over. I mean, yeah, okay, like San Francisco Bay Area, there is a lot. Singapore, though, more New York City, Calgary, yeah. so uh, Paris. So it is It is actually, I think, it's it's starting out with a nice spread of people. And what I like is that matchmakers playing with this, this dating aspect of Manifold can profit with mana, which is their, mm-hmm. like, in-world in currency, if they correctly bet on whether two individuals will last in a six-month relationship or not. And I love that betting. I just, I, like, I wish... We've got to do this. Like, I want there to be like a running like thing in our family where we're betting on like all sorts of inappropriate oh, I would, things. I would love that. I mean, it'd be so cool. If something like it's got popular on like a college campus or something. Well, <laughs> even like with dating too. Like, I think one one thing that actually came up at the prenatalist conference in I think that same conversation where autism came mm-hmm. up was the fact that like family and social approval of partners of people people were dating had sort of fallen by the wayside. Whereas like in the past, your parents and your brother and sister would all have like a whole lot of things to say about the woman or man that you were dating. And they, you know, would be like, oh, here's what I think of them. And I love the idea of like bringing it back and being like, yeah, I'm going to place this bet that you're going to last, like you're going to last for five weeks. And it was very Uh, interesting how that came up. The guy was like, my brother brought home somebody to meet the family. And it was like very (laughs) clear this was a bad match. Yeah. but we couldn't tell him tried to subtly tell him like this is a bad match but it didn't mean much to him that the entire family thought that and historically and within most cultures that would be a very very loud signal that you probably shouldn't get married to somebody but i think it's different i think it's different when the family is like literally putting money on the line like here's how long i think you're gonna last and of course that can happen like if for if that happens to the wrong type of person they might pursue a relationship or string it along longer than they should just to you know out of spite oh we don't want them colluding on these bets (laughs) you know that'd be so easy to do but i I still i still love this this idea yeah dating i'd also love it if we did little ads like this occasionally and things for (laughs) products that we stand i was thinking about that earlier when i was watching youtube videos and they had like sponsored segments i was like oh it'd be cool to like sponsor little products or people who are working on things in the community not for pay for the greater good. For, not for the greater good. That's what the Tao Empire would say. And they're a bunch of commies. Oh. Um, we do it for community cohesion. 
and utility. Okay, Simone, efficacy, mm, efficacy. Mm, but mm. I, <laughs> I actually do think it's a legit good place to look for a partner, though, because you have to think about this is one of those things where in in business selling- you need to look for an arbitrage opportunity. You need to look where there's a lot of value that is untapped. Well, and what we learned after attending Manifold's inaugural conference was just how smart everyone there was and like we're like oh my gosh like i am ready to like move into a neighborhood full of these people i would happily live in that neighborhood that's where we finally met scott alexander yeah yeah and and saw a bunch of other really awesome people and made a lot of friends like ridiculous like even we've been to a lot of different like societies and groups where we really love the people there and we're like oh everyone's so intellectual this wasn't just intellectual people it was like intellectual doers intellectual thoughtful people like who yeah i don't know i just i i I think they're great so this is why i think it's uniquely worthwhile thing to to plug is because right now before it becomes like overblown or too well known it is a very curated network of very smart thoughtful but also like impactful employed people (laughs) so So, yeah but now to the topic of the video why is this community disproportionately drawing autists the type Mm. of people who would be engaged by something like that yeah and autists you'd think would have a lower birth rate than the average person so why would autists not only be like keen to have a kid but like six and and we should call them hottest because that's the new thing they're they're hot autistic (laughs) people the hottest why is it that hottists are disproportionately drawn to pronatalism i am asking you the autistic woman i think well and yeah i mean the, the classic easiest answer is autistic people don't just do something they like really go overboard you know they're not just like into trains they like know every fucking thing about trains right so like yeah. i think once you get an autistic person into kids they're like kids <laughs> bring all the kids and i'm gonna raise them perfect and they will because they're gonna be autistic about it which is such an ironic twist from like the classic image of the refrigerator mom for a little bit of color for a while people thought that people became autistic because they were raised by overly cold mothers who you know didn't show them love and were incapable of expressing love mm-hmm. whereas like when we see the the autists who are raising kids you know they they may not it may not be natural to them <laughs> to like express affection in certain ways but they have studied it so much and they care about doing it right so much that they are way better at showing affection than the You're average very good at simulating it you can't replace family with a robot, Richard. We need real human affection. That's why Huggy's programmed to simulate its sweetness. But yeah, so well, honestly, though, here's my here's my thing though about about simulating love. I think that someone who's quote unquote faking it when it comes to love and affection is ultimately going to show much more love and affection to someone than someone who's really acting it out, because people who are who act as they actually feel are way less like way way more likely to get irritable way more less likely to act patiently way less likely to act picturesquely all the time what could be more important than your family richard science and i think both you and i like a lot of the time when we do super wholesome stuff and it's you know being really cute with the kids and being really loving with them like it's right after they just vomited slash shat slash spit up all over us you know it it might be after they just screamed in our faces or had a tantrum or like we're kind of tired but we choose because we're being really autistic about it 
to be more affectionate. So again, ironically, I would also say not only are autists like extra enthusiastic about parenting when they get into it, but also like they're better parents than neurotypical people. That's an interesting theory. That is not the theory that I've chosen. Okay. The, The theory I would have chosen goes like this why were autists disproportionately in the early effective altruist movement Uh it was because the movement combined two things something that was obviously a problem in society that most philanthropic money was mostly about social signaling and not actually helping people but that also a person with good emotional like intelligence of other humans and 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 who could read other humans and social cues really well they would know that you're not supposed to say that, that people are oh. just spending philanthropic money to self-aggrandize themselves and make themselves look better because that's a really hurtful thing to tell somebody and that's, you know, disruptive to society. And so we have broadly agreed on this mass delusion. And they're like, no, but look, seriously, it's not working. <laughs> and everyone else is like, well, and I think that with the pronatalist movement, it's the same sort of a thing. It's a movement that is based around an obvious statistical trend. Anybody who's looking at statistics is going to see that fertility rates are falling at a rate that makes it inevitable that it is not going to be the biggest issue that humanity faces over the next century. Mm. Much bigger than things like global warming and stuff like that, when you're looking at just the numbers and the speed of, of, of what's happening. And so they recognize that this is the problem. But they also lack the social graces to recognize just how much blowback they're going to get from the urban monoculture, which controls most pathways to power in our society, most pathways Mm -hmm. to income and stability in our society, pathways and access to sexual resources in our society. So they just go out and say it. Hey, guys, do you not see the problem? Do you not see the, the train that we're about to hit? And I think that that's what it is. It's a obvious thing was a social filter in front of it that most people know not to cross. And I would say that this is also true when I think about like the people who were autistic at the conference or were heavily on the spectrum there, that they were just genuinely like, I am concerned about the statistics here. Whereas I think the people who weren't like that at the conference, they more like had some other agenda that they were using this to promote to some extent. Right. They weren't pronatalists. They were first and foremost Catholics or whatever religion they were. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas the autistic people were more like, hey, this is a problem. Why aren't people talking about it? Like, I came here to try to figure out why no one is talking about this. So I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I do my little impression there. Uh, But it is is really interesting. And I think if the movement stays this way or it has this as sort of its founding community, that's going to heavily shape it going forward. But it also speaks really positively towards the direction it's going. Because it has the capability of moving up in society and moving up within sort of income brackets and then taking over apparatuses in our society in the same way the EA movement did. And so that's a really positive direction. And and that's one of the things with the EA movement. As the EA movement began to incorporate more and more people who were not autistic, that's that's where it started to fall apart. It sort of began to fall apart and lose its way, especially within leadership roles. Although, wouldn't you say Sam Bankman-Fried is almost certainly on the spectrum? Oh yeah, I'd say that still the old old guard heads of the movement are still all pretty much on the spectrum. I mean, it's insane. And he still I, did like really performative stuff. Right, but he was doing it with the goal of manipulating political players. Hmm. I don't know how much of it, like, like his goal was manipulating political players for personal financial gain. 
that was, you know, what motivated that behavior. And then, you know, particularly lacking social uh, awareness that the EA movement has now become an aggressive Luddite movement is, is absolutely hilarious to me. For people who may not know what the word Luddite means, it means an anti-technology or like a technophobic movement. But as they say, and I think that this is really funny, there was a quote that I'll put on screen by, what's his name? The guy who wrote Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, okay. Uh, Douglas Adams. Douglas Adams. Ah, there we go. It's like anything that was invented before I was born is like old news, boring. Anything (laughs) from when I was born to the age of 30 is exciting and I might get a career in it. Anything after the age of 30 is like against the natural order of things and must be destroyed. (laughs) And it is hilarious to me that like right as the leadership cast of the EA movement turned over 30 like that was the moment when they decided all technological innovation must stop right now everything else is blasphemous and must be destroyed um a little on the nose yeah it it was shockingly on the nose it was shockingly on the nose and and very depressing to me and i'd like to think that the pronatalist movement and i hope that the movement can commit to this going forwards aggressively will raise young people to positions of influence earlier than other movements do and not develop sort of an encrusted sort of elite of of intellectual elite within the community. Well, if any movement can do that, I do think it is the pronatalist movement, especially because those cultures that are going to be sustainable in the long run are those that empower youth, not those that disempower youth. I also yes. think that when Silicon, or sorry, I shouldn't say Silicon Valley, when autists decide to become obsessed with something and specialize in an industry, they take it over and make it very effective. We saw this with like tech companies. They were basically like- yeah predominated by autistic people and look now tech companies like run a huge portion of the global economic system i think you know with autists taking over pronatalism if that is indeed what happens you are going to see a very effective movement now of course we've heard people talk about how much they hate how autistic people run these tech companies because they have no idea how social justice works and they ignore all these things and they're just bullied little children who are now taking it out on all of us normal people but I don't know. I mean, like, whatever. Like, sorry, you can cry into your free Gmail all you want and then watch YouTube videos that you don't pay for. And then, like, I don't like deal with it, you know? And it, like, these people, these same people are going to be like, oh, all these young people that are wiping my butt as I'm really old are so weird. I hate them so much. But then, like, who else is going to wipe your butt, lady? So, yeah. What what was that rant about? That seemed oddly specific. Did you read something somewhere? No, I, I've heard multiple times people who consider themselves neurotypical, who I wouldn't even say are neurotypical, complaining about autists being in charge of like Silicon Valley, like, you know, being CEOs of companies. No, I've seen the being... reporter class complain about this. They're like, yeah, no, we need to make it more not just the reporter class. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, no. yeah. But I, well, and, and it's important for us, like we talk about, like, I'm glad that I think the movement's going to end up making a lot of money. And it's good for us to that that happens mm-hmm. because pernatalism as a cause area has one real like downside to it, which is one of the great ways to get money as a movement and then use that to grow the movement is when people who care about the movement die and don't have any descendants. And right. the you were just movement- talking, I think, in another episode recently about how the Catholic Church started pro prohibiting cousin marriage in an attempt to make sure that they got those inheritances from yeah. wealthier families. 
and we want this, right? Like we want, we would love that. But I mean, if, if that's ever happening with no, us, no, 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 no. We actually have a way more clever solution and don't you dare underplay it because I think it's very smart. And I love that you made it up or that you designed it, which is specifically that people in our family, in our cultural house do not inherit money as a matter of course. They do not have trust funds. They do not have inheritances. Instead, there is the house fund. The house fund will help to pay for your fertility treatments. It may help to pay for some of your education and it may match funds that you raise for a startup or nonprofit from other respectable third-party organizations, but it is not going to pass on money to you. And influence within the governance of that house and the distribution of its wealth is driven by, to a great extent, those who contribute the most new money to it, which is yeah. so important because right now what you see in most family offices and when you see basically anything with inheritance, those who drain the most from it have the most influence over it. Whereas well, I mean, with, I love with this our design, house foundation, our, yeah. our house's model, but this is different from the nonprofit pronatalist foundation. Yeah. Which is no, I mean, what I would I love referring to, but I hear, well, I hear yeah, what you're at the talking same about. time, though, like our, our philosophy with any sort of nonprofit effort is frankly a nonprofit that does not ultimately find a way to make its own money or that is at, at the very least not dependent on outside parties for donations is the only nonprofit you really can believe is virtuous enough to pursue its original mission because mm -hmm. any nonprofit that sticks around long enough that doesn't make money from anything but donations clearly has become specialized in raising money and virtue signaling and not in actually solving its problems. So again, like, well, yeah, true. But look at the antinatalist movement, how easy they'll have a time raising money. I mean, they, they get all of people's money when they do their job. Right. And, and I, and I think the antinatalist movement is actually going to do a lot to buoy the pronatalist movement right now. Like they mm -hmm. are, if anything, a boon to us as they are growing because they're just so insane. Uh, well, I mean, to me, they just come off as transparently evil. They're like, yeah, let's uh, <laughs> kill all life on the planet. Let's Venus the planet. You know, that's not an uncommon thing within the negative utilitarian side, which is sort of the leaders of most of the antinatalist community. I uh, think I think it is very virtuous within their perception of reality. It is it is logically consistent and virtuous. No, and I agree with that, but it's a high utility to us because I think it drives normies, you know, when they're choosing, well, which side of this debate am I on? Yeah. Towards our side of things. So mm -hmm. long as you can keep any of the racist voice from getting too loud, yeah. then you can win the the normie middle. Mm-hmm. Which, which I feel like, you know, in terms of, of public messaging, like we've really begun to do, I, the, 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 I, the fertility rate problem, I think is really beginning to break into mainstream narratives. I agree. Yeah. It's happening. And this is awesome for us. Because yeah, I, I, I just wish. I guess it, it actually like the, the the awareness and the extent to which people care about it is part of the solution because we are seeing people just completely breaking away from many of the broken elements of dating markets, of not getting married, of not having kids. And they're just like having kids really young. They're, they're starting families really young and mm -hmm. being economically, economically productive at the same time. So I guess, yeah, awareness actually is more of a cure than I even thought it was when I, now that we've met people in the movement, right. And now that we see like, what awareness is producing because i thought awareness was going to produce just frustration like yes i know it's a problem but no there's nothing we can do about it whereas actually 
having face. I think it's more than awareness. I think it's a self-identity as a pronatalist that Mm. they now see publicly and they can accept for themselves. Mm. So I think that people really work around sort of prepackaged self-narratives in our society. And the problem is that a lot of people didn't have a pronatalist package of personality that they could adopt that did not come with either racist or religious extremist connotations. Right. And so because they felt that way, they're like, I don't get to do this because this isn't who I am, you know, especially if they were successful entrepreneurial or autistic like we were talking about, you know, why are they disproportionately drawn? It might be partially because you're one of the heads of the movement. It might be because they see you and they see this self Oh, wait, me? You- Simone? Yeah, this self-narrative that you and I are pushing and they're like, this is a self-narrative that I personally can identify with and not feel ashamed about this identity. And then they make life choices that are aligned with the community. I mean, having kids is a bit like a having kids young, especially is a bit like the face tattoo of the pronatalist movement. It's the way that you show, <laughs> you know, you are on board with this movement in a very like, serious mm. long-term commitment. And a lot of also the wholesome imagery around the movement and stuff like that, I think mm. has also been really appealing to people where it's like really technophilic and successful, but otherwise wholesome, which I actually think it's part of why pronatalism didn't really take off when it was just Elon doing the advocacy for it. Because he started talking about it even before we did. Um, yeah, but he wasn't talking about it in a way where it's like, I could do that. I, I never saw his lifestyle and thought, oh, well, of course, that's something yeah. I can do. Yeah, yeah. Where I think we offer an image that a lot of people feel is both aspirational yet attainable, which is also interesting because you and me as like a healthy couple like a, that actually likes each other, like that's pretty rare Bizarre. for any kind of influencer where that is not their core thing. Like there's a lot of influencers where they're- Influencers where it is their core thing. Cause you know, I love watching critiques of yeah. like- happy families and like wholesome families and there's so much footage of like couples sitting next to each other like looking kind of resentful and passive aggressive and it's sad it is sad yeah i don't like to and, and, and it becomes a real problem in those relationships because they develop own self narrative because that's their income how they see themselves certainly masturbating the self-narrative and so they cannot accept even within themselves that their relationship may not be good for them long-term or that they may need to work on something in a very serious way mm-hmm. because it is who they are. I'm the person who's in a good relationship where for to mm-hmm. us, this is really ancillary to our advocacy work. It's just, um, I guess it's useful for our advocacy work, but it is very ancillary to it. Oh, like uh, we don't have to be happy together in order to be effective as a, uh... Yeah, I mean, I don't think we have to be like a great couple to be good advocates for this. Although maybe we do. Maybe <laughs> and it's I, I'm pretty advocacy work. Well, sorry, you're going to have to keep up the charade, my friend. The charade of pretending I love you and I think you're amazing. <laughs> okay, I'll keep it up. I'll keep it up for a few days. Is this how you trapped me? Is this how you trapped me? You got me into this situation. Yeah, I made you super path dependent on being a perfect wholesome husband. So now you just have to dig into it. I can't possibly leave you or treat you poorly or I would. But this is the thing. It's like, no, legit. I think that people who fake affection in our environment invested in faking affection are way better than people who actually just express how they feel all the time. And I mean, that's part of our philosophy too, is is feelings and emotions are 
kind of dumb and, and often maladapted. I agree with that to an extent, but the Gottmans are supposed to be faking that they're in a good relationship. You know, their whole shtick <laughs> is relationships, right? Oh, like it doesn't yeah. come across like they're in a happy relationship. I see. I don't know. I, I still, I actually hold to your view that the Gottmans are really more about keeping bad relationships together. And that is the image that they're trying to share is that don't worry, we too have a bad relationship and we've managed to become a power couple together. You can too, and still uh, hate each other. These are people just know like who they we are. Do. They're like the number one relationship coaches for boomers. Right. Um, John Gottman became famous from his research where he felt like he was able to, after watching some like five minute clip of a couple talking, say how long that marriage was going to last. And then they, they made this whole like, thing and we went to one of their retreats once because we were generously offered free attendance to this retreat yeah, yeah. and it was terrifying well and i mean and to the point that you were making earlier i did have somebody who is was in the pronatalist movement and runs a popular twitter account and this is at the pronatalist conference like take me aside at one point and he's like you really know like one he's like you know you you really need to stay healthy you need to like you, you need do to stay in great terms with your wife you know you you have to stay together because you do not understand how impactful it would be for the movement if you guys end up splitting up and getting into some messy divorce or something <laughs> or if you ended up dying at this stage and i was one i really made me feel good because this is a popular twitter account that i had heard of before and everything like that and it made me feel really good that he felt that way like that i was that important but it also was like oh shit for this movement to work out i guess i have to keep pretending to love you simone but it's so easy when we're both so autistic i'm not actually diagnosed autistic she is but i guess a lot no, of well, yeah but you're definitely not autistic like i've I'm, a lot of commenters have been like malcolm definitely should we test you he's certainly autistic but no like you are definitely not neurotypical we know that like that is obvious but the actual signs and giveaways of autism, you just do not have at all. I have all. a very, very easy time reading people. It's oh, I, I'd say it's one of my strongest skills is reading people. Yeah, I'm on the autist spectrum and you're on the schizoid spectrum, but you're also not schizophrenic. So like, I don't, and also there's all these other weird things about you that like are not on the schizoid or autist like spectrum. So like, I don't. I don't know what it is. You're 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 wonky. I don't I honestly don't think you're human. I think you're some kind of godlike entity that has descended from the heavens and like I I either am in a coma and I've dreamed up some kind of hero or you are like I don't know. Um you know, your mother used to tell you and your brother that you were like, you know, she had a vision from a psychic and you would be born to do great things. So and my like mom's whole like childbearing <laughs> strategy for us, if you're familiar with Olympia's childbearing strategy for- That's um, the mother of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great, where she'd be like, your dad isn't really your dad. I was actually <laughs> impregnated by a snake that was Zeus in disguise and stuff like that. <laughs> like that is not far off from the stuff that my mom would constantly tell me when I was a kid. Always about, oh, I've gone to a psychic and I had visions and I had dreams and that you two were supposed to take over the world and she would just over and over and over again and i remember she told me a story once about somebody at one of my preschools like the teacher was like malcolm has like a, a problem where he thinks he's supposed to become like a king and or an emperor you know and my mom was like what's what's the problem there and the teacher was like no you don't understand like he thinks literally like that's gonna be his job when he grows up and my mom was like 
yeah, of course I raise him to believe that. Why would I raise him to believe less of himself? <laughs> Why would I raise a mediocre, normal son? So maybe that just yeah. has made you not neurotypical in a way that's not diagnosable well, in a simple I way. So. I think that that's the type of thing. I think that might be an inherited sense of grandiosity <laughs> that I probably got from my mom. If we're mm. going to be realistic here, where it's it's like, bipolar but only the manix phase only only low-grade manix <laughs> only the um, highs only the highs no, this has actually been some people uh, look at the way i act and they're like oh you must be bipolar like yeah or like on something like a, yeah what? or on something yeah or on something or something <laughs> like that and i was like no i'm just happy i'm excited about where things are going and and how efficacious i do get into these slums when i've like haven't achieved something for a while which simone Gets me. Another really interesting thing about my biology, when she talks about me like overanalyzing and have a very good ability of reading people, is that this ability is also incredibly taxing to me. It's um, super stressful. Yeah. Like I yesterday I finally left the house. I hadn't left the house in a long time, and I was in New York engaging with people, and I met with three people. And the next day, I had to sleep like half the day. Just to yeah, like, like literally, your need for sleep increases intensely. Like when we're out, like traveling and entertaining and doing meetings, like. You, you have to go to a room and pass out and sleep somewhere. And there have been times where you've been at events and like you've had to like crawl into a corner and pass out and sleep because like just literally your mind can't take that level of like heavy compute without taking a breather and like clearing out. With yeah. like well, the I think this is why a lot of people like us, like we prefer to not like work in offices and stuff like that. I got to find that clip from the, the new Santa Claus, where the Santa Claus is saying, he's the evil Santa Claus, the evil Santa Claus, I should be clear, is explaining why open workplaces are so taxing on people <laughs> like us. Where I think for both you and me, for different reasons, we find being around people incredibly taxing. But I like that we so efficiently avoid it and we do not allow ourselves to become burdened by friends or acquaintances without having a clear utility to be gained by them. Ken Gemberling was sucked into the internet, burdened with new friends and tormented by the bounty hunter chains. He desperately seeks a way home. And what's yeah. really interesting is that Simone, potentially because she's autistic, she does not trigger this mental taxation in me because there is never anything going on with her that is not at the surface. She always tells me what she is thinking without any you know, background goals or motivations or games. Well, there's never a, you know what you did wrong. I shouldn't Yeah, you would never you. say something like that to me. It's <laughs> always immediately like, this is what I'm telling you what I'm feeling. There is no need for this sort of background processing, which makes it really easy for me to be around you all the time. Which is not, by the way, I, sh I should make it clear. Like Malcolm is Mother Teresa level saint for dealing with me. I'm actually really difficult to live with so he makes it act like that's not the case but i can't open doors and i freak out when my schedule is interrupted and i can't handle a billion different things so well i he, mean we do this podcast i want to do the podcast in the same room you i know, can't handle that example but we do it in different rooms because she finds it difficult to think when other people are around especially me like you find it uniquely hard to think when i'm around and we're in a social context yeah you're you're very stressful all humans are very stressful but like well, you, yeah, you, uh, you've described it as being very afraid of disappointing me, and this fear yeah. like increases when I'm near you. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's something that like autistic people feel a lot anyway. Like they, it's exhausting to have to actively emote for people, and then like try to you know play by their rules. I think especially if you're the kind of autistic person 
You know, here's the thing. Okay. I've noticed a pattern with autistic people. There are autistic people who love spending time around groups. And I, we, we know a couple personally, and then just like in, informationally who tend to actually be weirdly social, like weirdly prefer to be surrounded by people. Those autistic people are typically not very good at masking at all. They're not mirroring facial expressions. They're not like, they're not auto responding LLM style in a way that they think will please other people. Like they're literally just being themselves and not being very expressive and not accommodating other people. And then there are the autistic people who you would never know are autistic, who are really good at masking, who mirror facial expressions. And they hate being around people because it's so mentally taxing and exhausting just to like accommodate them and try to make them happy and like to fake being a good companion or like decent socially. And that, I think that's a big differentiating factor. And, and I am one of those people who grew up masking and therefore being around anyone, even especially actually, especially if it's someone that I love and really want to make happy. And you are that, like, if you are not happy, the world is broken. I, I can't. We got to do the line, people, what a bunch of bastards. Put that <laughs> clip in here because that is, that is, you're like, I've met enough of them. I've met enough of them. Uh, Talk to get out there and meet other people. Other people. Yes. You mean people other than Roy? Well, yes. And these other people, where do they congregate? Well, I don't know. You, you could try and do an evening class or whoa, something. Whoa, whoa, like hold on a second now. And what exactly am I supposed to do while she's out gallivanting at her night classes and whatnot? Well, you could meet other people as well. Yeah. I don't like people. Oh, well, now that's not fair, Roy. Have you met all of them? I've met enough of them. People. What a bunch of bastards. <laughs> what about a show with staying power? I'll tell you what, the IT crowd is just amazing. Anyway, I, I recently edited in a clip from the IT crowd into one of the episodes, and I might edit in this clip here because I just love it so much. It's the wishy thinking clip. Ace, what is it? The simple answer is we don't know. Or at least we didn't know until now. Hello, I'm Douglas Renham, and I'm not a scientist, but I do have a better understanding of what space is than any scientist living today. Where did I gain these insights? From this man, the founder of Spaceology, Beth Gaga Shaggy. Is the founder of Spaceology a religion, not a cult? In other words, when it comes to space, he's the man with his head screwed on tight. This is what he told me when I met him on holiday two weeks ago. Space is invisible mind dust, and stars are but wishes. I mean, think about that. That means every star you can see in the night sky is a wish that has come true. And they've come true because of something he calls space star ordering. Space star ordering is based on the twin scientific principles of star maths and wishy thinking. If that doesn't convince you, well then, maybe you just don't deserve to get what you want. Oh, that's great. Power of wishes. Uh, this, this was in the episode on uh, the Tesseract God or, or, or like oh, yeah, 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 why yeah. conservative yeah. iterations of faith are yeah. more likely to be true than uh, more progressive interpretations of faith because, well, we go into it in the episode. You should check it out if you want to see it because it is very interesting and we do a lot of quotes 
in, in it too, from like the Bible, the Quran, all sorts of stuff. You yeah. could like argue that even from the perspective of these traditions, they would be arguing this as well, which is always fun. But uh, anyway, I enjoyed this conversation and I'm yeah. going to actually hold to my guns. I think you're completely wrong about autistic people and perinatalism. And I think that honestly, if you went into any affiliative movement, be it like a church, like go into a nunnery, go into like, you know, a really weird priest order where they're all silent, go into like a really obscure engineering business or like an anime circle. The people who are most enthusiastic and passionate are autistic because oh, autists go all the way. I just had a great idea. Next mm -hmm. time we're talked to by a reporter or something like this, we need to have you subtly drop that you want to replace the rest of the population with autistic people. Um, <laughs> we need to have you. Wait, the, what, what do we call it? The greater replacement? The greater replacement. The, the complete solution. No, no, yeah. you got to say it's the greater replacement theory. The greater I, really like that. The greater I have a greater replacement theory. I'm, I'm a greater replacement theorist <laughs> where the autists are trying to replace us. And, and Simone, here you affirm you as an autist are trying to replace them now, right? Like that's what the perinatalist movement's really about. Yeah. We need some progressive to freak out about this. Um, <laughs> the oh, greater replacement theory. The greater replacement. You are the best <laughs> You are hilarious. <laughs> oh, not as hilarious as you as, as, as you are and our kids, but you know what? I, I love you to bits. Thank you so much. Love you too. And I, 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 you guys have no idea how lucky I am to have a wife who says such nice things about me. <laughs> you really do have immense gratitude. And as I say, that's always the number one thing to look for in a spouse these days. Well, and the sign of a true gentleman is that you will end up believing that his wife is a truly wonderful woman despite the fact that all women are absolutely horrible. So I love you. Oh no, a Walt, a Walt. I should have known. Wait until you divorce me. Um, it's going to be terrible. You convince all my kids to hate me. I mean, it's inevitable, obviously. And then I'll show them these videos and you'll say, oh, it was all an act. It was an act. Yeah, it was 100% a lie. Didn't you see all of the writing on the wall? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> all right okay, goodbye you. to you and your beautiful face i love you your stinky silly face <laughs> <laughs>